Before we were ever worried about reaching someone, the most important thing and always will be is that relationship with the one who created us. And as we go one-on-one with the Lord, he will always lead you to someone. Thanks for tuning in to the Putnam City Baptist Church podcast. We hope this message encourages you wherever you might be. If you'd like to learn more about PCBC, visit us online at pcbc.tv. Now, here's Pastor Bill. I hope that question is staying with you each and every day that you wake up and walk into your world, that you would be praying that God would use you to reach at least one person this year. We're seeking to do that one day at a time, one week at a time, and one month at a time, and I'll explain that through this morning's sermon. But let's review a couple things we've been uh, looking at through Scripture and the reality of God's will for your life. Number one, we are encouraged to first go one-on-one with God. The very first thing God ever established was uh, the human race in the garden for relationship. Before we were ever worried about reaching someone, the most important thing and always will be is that relationship with the one who created us. And as we go one-on-one with the Lord, he will always lead you to someone. He will always lead your path across another person's path intentionally, whether we realize it or not, for a divine eternal purpose. Second thing that we're reviewing this morning is that everyone has someone who needs to know the one. It's not just for other people. It's not just for me. It's not just for our staff. It's not just for those who have the gift of evangelism. Everyone who knows the one has someone in their life or will have someone in their life that needs Jesus. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want you to dig in and take a look at Jesus and how he relates to your one, all right? Take your Bibles, go to Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Luke 19 and verse 10. You know this passage probably, but I want you to see it in context, always seeing it in your word, and then letting the word speak to our hearts. In Luke, Jesus talks about why the Lord came. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now that's not just a verse that relates to over 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked on this planet. That has always been and always will be the passion of our Lord. He came the first time to seek and save the lost. And he promised that as he would leave this earth, he would send the Comforter, the Holy Spirit to live in us to give us victory over sin, but also to be his ambassadors to carry out our ministry of reconciliation. Jesus didn't stop caring about the lost when he died on a cross. Jesus didn't stop with that passion of seeking and saving lost. He just now chooses to do that through you and through me. That's our holy calling. And yet so few people in the body of Christ ever experience the reality of that calling in their life. If you have your Bibles, go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul, he will give a verse that uh, at first sounds a little egotistical, a little arrogant, but we'll see the context of it later in the scripture. So you're going to want to mark it here because we're going to move around and come back to chapter 11, but look at verse 1. Paul says, be imitators of me just as I also am of Christ. 
Now, when you first look at that verse, you'd say, okay, well, this must be how you live out Christianity. Uh, we have our role models. We have our spiritual heroes. The Apostle Paul doesn't get any better than that. And I'm supposed to look at his life, and I'm supposed to act like Paul. And Paul was trying to act like Jesus. He said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's not what he is speaking of, the Christian life. He's talking about how we carry out our life purpose. That's different. You see, in Christianity, we can't do it in our own strength. We do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But one thing we do see here, and we'll see the context in just a moment, is that the Apostle Paul was talking about Christ's passion. What we just saw in Luke 19, that he came to seek and save the lost. And that's exactly what we see in the Apostle Paul. And what Paul's saying here is he's saying, imitate me. Imitate this passion. Have the same passion that Christ had. I see it in Christ. I know it's in me. And I want you to follow in my footsteps to seek and to save the lost. And so that is the challenge before us. But that begs the question, how do we do that? How do we seek and save the lost? Well, number one, we have to remember that we have to proactively seek them. We're to go into the world. We're not just to invite people to church. We're not just to pray for people, but we actually are to go proactively engaging this world with the gospel. We have to find proactive ways of ministering to people, finding ways to build a bridge into their life so that we can then speak to their heart with the word of God. And that's the final step. Faith comes from hearing, hearing the word. It's not enough that they just see Christ alive in you. That is the attraction. That's the bait that attracts them. That, that gives credibility to the conversation. But without the conversation, without the sharing of the word, it's the word that is alive and active. It is the word of God that penetrates the heart. It's a two-edged sword. And that is the only way a person comes to know their need for a savior. But God wants to use you as his vessel, and God wants to put you in people's lives so that you can be his mouthpiece to share that word. We don't save anybody. Jesus does. He came to seek and save the lost. We are part of the harvest. We are simply instruments in his hands, and we are to show up. We're to be available. We're to passionately pursue other people with the gospel, sharing the word of God and leaving the results to God. He is the Lord of the harvest. So what does that look like? Well, we're trying to equip you and encourage you in your walk and in your calling to live that out on a daily basis, to live that out on a weekly basis, and on a monthly basis all year long. So we have a four-week cycle. First of all, there is the daily challenge. The daily challenge that when you wake up each and every day, Matthew tells us, chapter 6, verse 33, that we are to seek first the kingdom of God. Now, let's be real honest. When you wake up, what's the first thing you seek? Maybe another 15 minutes of sleep? Maybe a big old hot black cup of coffee? Uh, maybe it's an early start on your bluebell carton? I don't know what you seek first, but sometimes it should be all the times that we are seeking first his kingdom. Lord Jesus, I start this day. This is a gift from you. This is the day you've made, and I rejoice, and I'm glad in it. And God, you've given me this day not to go earn a paycheck, not to be able to pay off my bills, not to just spend time with my family, not just to enjoy life, but God, you've given me this day to be a part of your kingdom. 
And God, I know that you will put somebody in my path this very day, someone who needs to know you, the only one who can save. So God, I'm showing up for duty. God, I'm available. And God, through the power of your Holy Spirit, I want to be a part of your kingdom. That is a daily first step. But then we have weekly challenges, a four-week strategy. And so I'm just going to walk you through that strategy, anchor it in Scripture, and let this be the way you live every day, all week long, all month long, that we might reach someone with the gospel. Well, let's take a look at week one. If you have your Bibles, go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, in our first week of a month, every single month, as long as we're here on this planet, this isn't just for 2021, but every month that we are here on this planet, the first week of every month, we want to be praying for the lost. Now, we do that every day, but week one, a special emphasis. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, take a look. It says, first of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of who? All men. Now that's not a chauvinistic passage. That is speaking of mankind, of all people, that we are to pray for all people. And then just to be careful that you don't let this be a politically incorrect verse. You even get to do that for kings and those who are in authority. Doesn't matter what your voting record has been. Doesn't matter your agreement or disagreement. It doesn't matter where that person comes from or who they are. We are to pray for all people. So we have that challenge from Scripture. We are to be people of prayer. Certainly, if we're going to engage people with the gospel, we should be praying for those people. Have you found someone? Has God put someone on your heart or some ones that you're praying for? Every day, and I would encourage you, if you haven't started the discipline, have a prayer journal the very top, I start putting names before I'm praying for the sick and for those uh, who I care about. I'm, I'm going to the first ones, why Jesus came for those who are lost, who Jesus is seeking to save. And daily, I want to look at those names. I want to be praying for those folks until they come to know Jesus. Flip over to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Now we're going to look in on the Apostle Paul's heart and his passion to engage in his calling. And we're going to see that prayer is an anchor to the effectiveness of his reaching people with the gospel. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, he says, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears my witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. What was the problem? Is it because he was always being thrown in prison for preaching the gospel? Is it because he's lost a loved one? Is it for some physical reason? Look at what he says. He says, For I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul had such a passion for his people, such a passion for his nation, a nation that should have known God, a nation that claimed to worship Yahweh, the one true God, and were the furthest people from him. Apostle Paul used to be one of the Pharisees. He used to be a part of that religion. He used to be the Pharisee of the Pharisees, and yet his heart was empty, and he knew that there was something missing. And now that he's found Christ on the Damascus Road, he looks back at his friends, he looks back at his people, he looks back at his nation, and his heart breaks, and his heart aches. 
And he says he was so consumed with them having the same peace and the same love that he now experienced. He said, I would trade places. I would take their place and go to hell if it meant that they would come to know Christ. Then you drop down to Romans chapter 10, verse 1. In the same context, the same flow, as he continued on through Romans 9 into Romans 10, it says this, Brethren, my heart's desire and my prayer, underline it. Paul modeled not only the life of an evangelist and not only the passion of Christ to seek and save the lost, but he taught us how to do that. And he models it by saying, and my prayer to God for them is for their salvation. The greatest way you can pray for somebody is that they would come to know the peace and the love and the forgiveness that you live in this very moment. The greatest way you can pray for someone is to pray for their salvation. His heart-wrenching passion for these people to be saved from their sin and their separation from God showed up in a daily prayer life, praying for them. And so take a look at your prayer life. Think about what happens every day and how you're praying and what you pray for. The majority of those who bear the name of Christian in America would probably have to say, my list is more about my comfort. It's more about my issues. It's more about my situations. And we need to spend more time praying for those who are in a worse situation, who are separated from the love and the holy fellowship of God. May we be driven to our knees and may we come to a point where we have that same passion that Paul had. His heart ached. His heart was broken. And daily he couldn't get away from the lostness of his world. As you walk out every single Sunday from here on out, you'll walk right out through into the lobby and right there hang on the wall facing you. Face on, well, I guess you have to go out the side doors these days, but you'll eventually get there. And when you get out in the lobby, you'll find our Who's Your One display. Right now, this is after a week of people, each ping pong ball sitting in there represents a lost soul. Think about that, just in this one congregation. Look at all the lost souls that are represented there. As you walk by, don't just look at a display. Don't just get familiar with it. Oh, there's our one display. No, look at all the ones that we're praying for. As you walk past that, adopt that you may not even know all the names God does take that with you and daily let that be our passion and daily let that be our prayer week one let me take you to week two in Luke chapter 15 week one we focus on prayer and we pray every day week two we focus in on serving the lost take a look at Luke 15 verse 4 what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? Now, in Luke chapter 15, we have several parables about lostness. Jesus reminding his audience that God cares about everyone, not just some, not just you pretty Baptist folk. Not just a denomination, not just Israel. He cares about every one, and so should we. As we look at this particular parable, we see the reality that it takes intentionality. He says, a good shepherd who cares about all of his flock, if there's just one missing, well, a lazy shepherd would say, man, I still got my 99. 
Uh, we're, we're in the middle of a bracket in March Madness, and I don't have time to worry about that stubborn one. If he wants to be in the flock, he can be. No, no, no. The shepherd goes after everyone. And that one person separated from the flock, the one who does not have relationship with the shepherd, is the one that must be pursued. But notice this it takes energy. It doesn't just happen. He doesn't have a sheep whistle and just blow the whistle and bring it on in. He doesn't have it on a line that he can just reel it in like a fishing line. The shepherd has to leave where he is and go to where the sheep is. It takes energy. It takes action. It takes caring about that one. And just to be real honest, there are some ones out there that it's real hard to be real concerned about that one. Can I get, don't, amen there, don't go there. Because everyone deserves the love of God. The Apostle Paul was one of those. As Saul of Tarsus, he was the enemy of the church. But he was someone's one, Stephen. Stephen loved him all the way to the end, even though Saul would be responsible for his death. He loved him all the way to the end, pursuing each and every one. And know this, to go get that one, to serve that one, It takes intentionality, it takes energy, but also know this, it's going to take time. That seems to be one of the greatest excuses people have for missing out on God's will. I'm just too busy. I don't have time. Man, there are too many demands on my life. There's no more margin in our lives, and therefore what used to be very real in our culture, spending time with people, that's the last thing we do. We spend time with people connecting to a page to a Facebook post, we'll give them a heart, a smile, a like, but that's not spending time with that person. For that shepherd to get that sheep, he's got to be intentional and he's got to exert the energy and it's going to take some time. And that's going to be true. If you're going to be an effective witness for the Lord, we may have to readjust our time. We may have to reprioritize what we do each and every day because we are kingdom-minded. Let me take you to the third. This is where I really wanted to land. Week three. Week one, we what? We pray for them. Week two, we what? We serve them. Week three, we relate to them. We build that relationship. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The Apostle Paul is going to teach you how. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 19. Now, Paul is writing to a young church that has been saved out of one of the most pagan cities on the planet. They have their issues, they have their baggage, they have their struggles, but he will teach them, number one, carry out your kingdom calling. Make sure that you are not just receiving God's grace, but that you're sharing that grace in the world in which you live. So he teaches them. Verse 19, he says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. When we look at verse 19, we see Paul's reality. He was a free man. In that day and age, in that culture, not all were free. Some were servants, some were bond servants, some had uh, other issues where they had a master in their world they were indebted to. Or they were in debtor's prison. They had all kinds of bondage in his world. But then there were those who were the free in society. He was free. He was a Roman citizen. 
He had freedoms under the Roman law, but he's speaking of a deeper freedom. That he was a born-again man who'd been set free from a dead religion, who'd been set free from legalism, who'd been set free to walk in the freedom of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now he points to the fact that he was a bondservant, that he had made himself a slave. You see, that's what a bondservant was. There were some who were slaves because they were indebted. They had been purchased. They were now owned by a master. They had too much debt they couldn't pay. Someone who had more resources stepped in, paid that debt. Now they became the property of that debt payer. Again, we see the gospel in that story, but then you would see that over time there were certain people with certain debts that they could work their way out. And as soon as they worked off that last indebtedness, they were set free. Well, Paul says, I was set free. The Lord paid a price I could never pay. He set me free from my sin and made me a free man. I'm free in Christ, but I have chosen to be a slave. You see, in that day and age, the bond servant was one who said, this master who loved me, this master who paid for my sin, this master provided for me and my family has done all things. He paid a debt I couldn't pay. I could never pay it back. And even though they were given their papers to go free, a bondservant says, I want to stay. I am committed to you forever. It was a special relationship. And the Apostle Paul said, even though I've been set free, even though I could live in all this grace that God has given me, even though I'm forgiven and going to heaven, I could live as a free man the rest of my days, and I am a free man. But I have chosen to be a slave to who? To all people. You say, that's weird language. Well, what he's saying is, I have intentionally and decidedly decided that I'm going to commit the rest of my life to everyone God puts in my path. That I will be, I will be indebted to my master and serve him in such a way that I carry out his passion of seeking and saving the lost. If you were to read through all of uh, chapter 9 here, you would find five different times he says his aim is to win people. In verse 19, he says, my desire is that I might win the more. In verse 20, he says that I might win the Jews. And he also goes on to say that I might win those who are under the law. He goes on in verse 21, says I want to even reach those who are not under the law, the Gentile, whoever. It doesn't matter who they are, where they are, or what they're doing. I'm indebted, I'm enslaved to reaching them with the gospel. Look at verse 20. So what does that look like? How do you carry out that same passion? How do you serve other people who don't know the Lord? Well, he gives us some clues. Look at verse 20. He starts off with the Jew, with, to the Jews first. Those were his people. Those were the ones he had the biggest sphere of influence with because that's his heritage. Certainly in our nation, uh, we certainly have a cultural connection with those in our nation, our country. And he says, to the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. Did you get that tongue twister? It almost sounds like he's talking circles, but he says this. He says, here's the deal. I grew up a Jew. 
I came to realize that religion can't save me. I came to realize that while I thought I was serving God, I was persecuting God and persecuting his church. And God saved me. And now I'm a follower of Christ. But I have not given up on those who are living the lie that I was living. Who've been deceived as I was deceived. And so what he's teaching us here is that as you serve someone, you serve them by understanding where they come from. Connecting with them where they are. It doesn't mean that you practice what they practice. That's what he's saying. He says, even though they're under the law, I'm not. But you know what? I'm going to choose. When I'm with that person, I'm going to honor their customs as long as it doesn't violate the principles of the holy God. I'm going to enter into that world where they are. I may not agree with all that they are or all that they believe, but I can be where they are because they're that lost sheep. And I have to go get that one who needs Jesus. And so he said, in this context, I understand how a Jew thinks. I know what they believe about being right with God. And so I enter in at that point. And as I relate to them, I'm able to share God's story through my story. I'm able to talk about how I too grew up a Jew. How I was the Pharisee of Pharisees in my town. I start connecting with them. I relate to them. They have some customs and practices. And when I'm with them and when I'm eating a meal, I'll follow along with their custom. I'm not going to make that a dividing point. But as I'm doing life with them, as I'm breaking bread with them, I'm also getting to shine the light of Jesus with them. When we go on foreign mission trips, we go to different countries, and when we get there, one of the first things we try to discover is what are their customs? And we will break bread with them, and we will follow a lot of those customs as long as it's not idolatry or false worship. It's just practices. We meet them where they are. We don't bring a McDonald's with us and introduce them to the Happy Meal and say, eat like us, be like us. No, we love them enough to engage where they are. Why don't we do that on our own soil? Why don't we do that in our own neighborhoods? Why don't we contextualize like Paul's teaching? Look at verse 21 quickly. He says, and then to those who are without the law, those would be the Gentiles, those who have no religion, they are without the law, though not being without the law of God, me personally, I'm under the law of Christ, that I might win those who are without the law. He says, I don't pull away from those who are lost and walking in darkness. I don't huddle up with just other believers like me and just play it safe. No, I still have to engage their world. Now, there's a context. There is no compromise Look at verse 21 again. He says, I don't compromise and act like I'm no longer in the law. He says, I'm still accountable to a holy God. And even in my holy accountability, I can still live holy among the unholy. I can still live uniquely different, but live alongside someone who doesn't know my holy God. I can do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. I must do that because that's where they are, and I reach in to where they live. He understood the different need of a heart. Verse 22, he said, to the weak, I become weak. In other words, if there was somebody who was struggling with an addiction, it doesn't mean that he becomes an addict to reach the addict. 
If somebody is struggling, as they did in Corinth, with sexual immorality, he didn't go hang down at the temple of Corinth where all the temple prostitutes were that he might reach a prostitute. No, he says, I live holy among the unholy. I can have a relationship. I can relate to their weakness. I can understand their hurt. Your addiction might be this. My addiction was to power. That's how he steps into it. He finds where they are and he relates his story to their story. Now, he didn't grow up as a Gentile, but he can still relate to a Gentile. I didn't grow up in church much. I was in church occasionally for a VBS or here or there. Many of you did. I can still relate to your story. I can relate to Saul of Tarsus and say, Saul, I don't know what it means to be a Jew, but I know this, we all have the same hole in our heart. We all have the same creator. And that hole can only be filled with a relationship with Jesus Christ. I can speak that to a person who had a religion like Saul of Tarsus. I can speak that into the life of someone who's walked like I have, not under the law and under a religion, and share that same commonality in my heart. What Paul is saying here is in all of these things, in all things, look at it again in verse 22. I do this that I might win the weak, for I become all things to all men, so that I may by all means, watch this, save some. Not everybody that you pray for is going to get saved. Not everyone you have a passion for is going to fall on their knees the first time you tell them about Jesus. Say, oh, give you a big old bear hug and thank you for sharing Jesus with me. But he was still faithful. Because no one knows when someone is going to trust Christ. As I told you before, Stephen never saw the fruit of his testimony that day as Saul and his gang were taking his life. And yet out of that story, the greatest evangelist that has ever walked on this planet became a believer because of Stephen's story. And he went on to have that same passion that he might just reach some with the gospel. As Paul is teaching us out of this passage, he says we must enter into their world to see them delivered from their world. They'll never figure it on their own. They'll never find it. And like I said earlier, that's what we do when we go to a foreign country. If we were to go to China or when we go to Zambia or when we used to be able to go to Venezuela, we would enter into their culture without compromise. We would dress like them. We would sing like them. We would relate to their culture that we might bridge into their hearts and bring them the heart gospel. We've got to do the same with our neighbors, whether they grew up in church or they grew up outside of the church. That doesn't matter. We engage them where they are. So as you pray for your one, study your one. Get to know them. Get to know what they're passionate about. Spend time with them. Engage, observe, and find a place where you can enter into their context. Just this last week as I was praying through this message and preparing for this week, uh, as I was leaving my neighborhood, right as you turn a corner to exit our neighborhood, there is a house right on this particular corner. And as you turn there, it used to be it was the eyesore of our neighborhood. But over the last year, year and a half, maybe two years, there's this guy, and he and I have kind of connected. He rides his bike in our neighborhood. Uh, we've talked a few times, but, but I've watched him over the last two years take that eyesore 
and daily be out in his yard renovating it, turning it around to being really one of the more stellar yards in our community. And every day I drive by and I turn, I'm coming to work, he'll wave at me. He's so proud. He's got a big old smile on his face because he knows he's got a good-looking yard. He has something to be proud of. The Lord just impressed me this week, and you can take a look at this picture. This isn't my neighbor, but uh, you can see... You can see that there are some that take it way too serious. And this guy has spent two years every day, man, not quite as bizarre as this picture, but he is committed and enjoys his yard work. Anybody here enjoy yard work? Let me pray for your soul right now. I'm just praying. Let's just put a hand towards that person. No, I get it. I love being out in the yard occasionally. And so I don't love it like he does. But now I've found a bridge into this guy's life. It just hit me. Why am I not meeting him where he is? He's outside every day. All I have to do is walk on his yard, and guess what he'll talk to me about all day long? His yard. I can learn some things. I can take away some truths. But guess what? As I'm loving what he loves, as I'm engaging where he lives, and what is easy for him to talk about... It will eventually build to the other side of the bridge where it'll be the time for me to get to talk what's easy for me to talk about. That my life used to be like your yard was two years ago. That's where I'd start with him. My life was full of weeds. My life was nothing but like a dead grass that you were trying to bring back to life. And you know what? God so loved me, he sent his only begotten son so I could have a new life just like your yard. I'm blown away at how well you have done with your yard. And that didn't happen on its own, and that yard couldn't turn itself around. It needed someone to save it. Same's true for me, and that will be my entry, that open door to share my story that shows him God's story. It can be that simple and that easy if we'll just look, if we'll just watch, if we'll just understand where people live. For go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 23. As we enter into that world, Paul says, we don't become like the darkness. No, we remain light. We're still accountable to God. But what's happened is the light, God's church, has huddled up in sanctuaries and not been shining that light in the world where people are. And we call that Christianity. And God calls that deceived. Light shines in the darkness. Light doesn't take on darkness to reach darkness. Martin Luther King Jr. preached that well. Darkness cannot be overcome with darkness. It is overcome with light. But if the light is shut up inside the walls of sanctuaries, the darkness gets darker in the streets, in the cities, and in this nation. And we can complain all day long about what's going on in our nation, but I would tell you it falls at the doorstep of the Christian's heart that we must reach all people with the gospel. Look at verse 23, 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 23. For I can do all things, I do all things. Why? For the sake of the gospel. That is a single-minded passion. That is a person who is radically committed to seeking and saving the lost. 
As you go on, I told you at the very beginning of the sermon, 1 Corinthians 11, he continues on teaching the the church in Corinth. In chapter 10, he says, so whether we eat or drink, it doesn't matter what their customs are, we still do it to the glory of God. We do it that we might reach into their life, whether they're Jews or Greek, it doesn't matter. We stay pleasing to God, but we stay connected to people. And that's in chapter 10. And then we get to the next verse, 1 Corinthians 11, 1. As he's been teaching them about reaching the Jew and the Gentile, as he talks about being uh, what you have to be in their life, bridging into their life, he says, so now, in summary, imitate me. What he's saying is, be a soul winner. Be passionate for the lost. Care about souls. Because you see, that's what I saw in Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. That's what I'm going to do. So follow me. And let's reach our one. Let's pray about it with every head bowed and every eye closed. Everyone has someone who needs to know the one, the way, the truth, and the life. And so during this time of invitation, while we're not doing a come forward invitation right now during COVID season, there is an opportunity for you to come forward for one reason, right here at the front of the altar Right here on the stage, there are two buckets of ping pong balls. If God has shown you someone, even this past week, that you need to be praying for, I'm going to start with another one. I already have one. I'm going to add another one. My guy with the great green yard. And he's going to be one of my ones this year. And during this time, as we're praying, as other people are responding for different reasons, if you need to come and Take one of these ping pong balls, there's markers in there, just write their initials on it, take it to one of the crosses on the sides here, lay it in one of those vases and say, God, this is my one. I'm committed like Paul to seek and save, bring them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then in a moment, I'm going to ask you to come. There are others, you are somebody's one, you need Jesus. Right where you are, maybe the Holy Spirit has shown you that today is the day of your salvation. You need to be saved. You say, well, what do I do? I know I need to be saved, but how how does that happen? I know I'm lost and separated from God. How do I have a relationship with him? Jesus said it's very simple. You have to turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. You have to acknowledge your need, that you need to be saved. And you can just cry out right now and say, Lord, save me. Save me from my sin. Give me a new life. And he will. Maybe you're like that man's yard two years ago. Your life is dead grass. Nothing but weeds. Let God turn you into a new creation. Trust him. If that's you online, you can reach out to our online pastor. You can email us at ministry at pcbc.tv and say, Today, I prayed and asked Jesus into my heart. There may be somebody here, you don't have one yet. Maybe you haven't even cared. Maybe you think, I'm just going to endure another sermon series by that crazy preacher. But God's going to break your heart. And God's going to show you someone that he died for. Someone who's separated from his love. And he wants to use you as his vessel. Thank you for spending time with our church family. If you would like to learn more about our ministry, visit us online at pcbc.tv. There you can also contact us and find out how to connect with us through social media channels. And visit pcbc.tv slash podcast 
to listen to additional messages from Putnam City Baptist Church.